I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to another edition of Boots, Balls and Bras. Those of you that are regular listeners, I apologize for last week's absence. Uh, had a little bit of a tummy upset, so I wasn't able to record. But we're back this week and we're back with a bang. So I'm joined by Matt Beard, Liverpool manager, and Rachel Laws, Liverpool goalkeeper. So some former colleagues of mine. Liverpool top heavy today in the Boots, Balls and Bras podcast. We're going to talk about women in coaching in the women's game and then obviously I'm going to give Rachel Laws a little bit about being a goalkeeper now in the women's game and some of the abuse you might get from the sidelines and how you deal with that but Matt Beard thanks for joining me today how are you I'm good thanks Baz how are you I'm very well is that all you're just good yeah no I'm all right yeah big, big win yesterday in the FA Cup how's it feeling today day off yeah no it's um it was it was listen it was a tough tie for us I think I think if you look at um the amount of experience they've got in their team. Um, and it's a tough place to go and play. Um, and obviously the manager changing as well, sort of midway through the week. So it made it a little bit unpredictable for us. But I thought we were really professional. I um, thought we deserved the win. Um, so it was really, really pleasing. FA Cup, obviously, domestically in, in England, it's, it's, it's massive. It's something that certainly in the women's game, we've, you know, won that all the players look forward to. So in terms of your ambitions for this season, there's eight WSL teams left in the quarterfinal. I'll be doing that draw a bit later. I might get you a, I'll try and pull out an easy draw for you if I can. But um, <laughs> what's the expectations of the team this year? Um, listen, we, we the, the start of the season, the goals were to improve on last year and, and we're doing that as we speak. Um, we used the Conti Cup this year slightly differently because we had a bigger squad. Um, we wanted to make sure that we used that to develop players and get the younger ones minutes and the ones that weren't playing to keep them uh, 90 minute fit. Um, but this competition, we want to go as far as we can. And, you know, I was lucky enough when I come back from America, I took the kids to see Chelsea Arsenal um, in the cup final. And I said to both the kids, I said, oh, daddy would be there one day, maybe. And in the next year, I was there at West Ham. So, um, just, just that experience at Wembley and walking out in front of 40,000 people, it was it was amazing. So, um, yeah, it'd be great if we could uh, replicate that at Liverpool. Um, but look, there's no easy game left in the, in the competition now. I think it's going to be whoever you get, it's, it's going to be a tough game. I think, as I said, the eight WSL teams into the quarter, uh, so it's quarterfinal draw. So, yeah, I'll be doing that a bit later on, as I said, hopefully get you a team. But really, I wanted to get you on just to talk about like how management and coaching within the game, obviously, you know, it changing from amateur to professional and how you've had to adapt as a coach in terms of that. So, like, what are the expectations and responsibilities now, now that the game's more elite? Yeah, I think... Um... Well, first and foremost, I think you need to have the right training facility. And I think if I look at um, when we was at, Tra- at Tramia Rovers, it was it was uh, it, it worked, but it wasn't what we've got at Melwood. So the infrastructure we have now is second to none. Um, but the changes are, are massive. I mean, if you when we was working together, it was me, Scott, 
Kirsty, who uh, <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll say no more My on that last, yeah. <laughs> That's our sports um, site is for those that, that are listening. <laughs> no, no, I used to love you too. It's so funny, man. Um, yeah, no, so like, I, I had five people working with me. Now I've got sort of 13 staff members. There's, there's a lot more on the upside and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, the, the game's professionalised. Um, obviously, we're specialists in each area, etc. So, you know, we get the ability to prepare the team as best we can. Um, on top of that, you've now got the Pro Game Academy as well, which are based with us. So it's great to, to, to see the, pro- the progression of the younger ones. So, so just on that, obviously, like, I mean, I, I remember coaching back in the day as a player, obviously, alongside playing, I did some coaching and there was a style of coaching that I had that I know isn't suited to players now because when I retired, I did a little bit of coaching at Reading. I did a little bit with the England under 23s and I had to adapt in terms of like how I coach players. And obviously, we've seen a lot of players, you know, come out and talk about mental well-being, etc. How do you manage that as a, as a manager or a coach in the game now? I think the, the the first thing is you need to treat everyone equally. Um, I, th- I think for me, it's just getting to know them as a person and knowing what's going on in their life. Um, obviously, now we've got psychologists, you've got club doctors, you've got... So there's a lot more people there to support, um, like the psychological side of the game. But I think as a manager, you've just got to be honest with the players. I mean, you don't want to make a rod for your own back and saying stuff that you know, that's going to come back and, I guess, bite you. But uh, no, I just, it's just, just treat, I mean, I treat everyone like they're my own anyway and um, just make sure that, you know, that if they're not playing, they've got a target, if, you know, things to work on, make sure that they're, they're improving as a player and as a person and when they get their opportunity, it's up to them to take it. And I think that's probably happened a couple of times this year for us. Well, obviously, like you obviously hear a lot about obviously the well-being of players and how, as I've just mentioned there, how coaches and, and staff deal with that. But where do you think the game's at in terms of like mental well-being for coaches and and the support of coaches in that state? That's a good question. I think um, I think when you're at the so I I I, I speak with Brent Hills a lot um, from the LMA and and, and he's great because I can bounce ideas off him and, and the conversations between me and him. So he's like a mentor for me through the LMA. Um, but yeah, maybe that's an area that needs to be looked at. But I think it's also up to the football club to install that as well. You know, as a manager, we've got a psychologist in three times a week. We've started to do some work with the players. We're doing work with the staff as well. So um, it's just making sure that you've um, that, that you've got someone on, on available to be able to support when needed. I mean... At Liverpool, we, we also have a sort of, we can refer players to like a clinical psychologist if it's not sport psychology. So we, we do have things in place for them if it's not sport related that they can go and see someone uh, from a clinical side point. Because listen, it, it, it's, I think if you look at the sport now, five, six years ago, um, you know, it was, it was just really social media. And, and now you're starting to see a lot of stuff creeping that you see on the men's game especially on social media. Um, and I just think you need to make sure that you support the players through that. But I'm very fortunate that, that Liverpool, that you know, they take that, that very, very seriously and they do a lot of work around that. Do you think, obviously, look, you, you, you go into press conferences, you're probably, you're, you're on social media yourself, the comments that you probably get as a manager, expectation, I'm sure you read it and see, you know, yourself and probably some of your staff at times will, will get equal abuse to what the players do because as a collective, people are looking in at the club and as I said, the expectation there is so big. So how do you then, how do you then as a, as a, as a coach deal with that away from the team? 
Well, I think the first thing is I come off Twitter and I think that's the best thing that, that I ever did because I just think that's a platform that just allows people to abuse people verb or, you know, for a keyboard. Um, yeah, listen, I, I, look, it, it, it's any walk of life. If they see me in the street, they wouldn't say it. Um, but they're happy I to type it. <laughs> I'll give you an example. When, when, when Jilly was getting a lot of stick a couple of years ago, you know, it become personal, so I, I called it out in on, on social media and I called it out in my press conference. I think, as a manager, I've got a duty of care to that person because it did affect her, um, mm. and it's my responsibility because I signed her, she's my player or our player, it's my responsibility. But listen, it's like anything, you've got to take it with a pinch of salt, you've got to get on with it, you know. I think if it's personal, then... I mean, it needs to be dealt with, but we know better than anyone that these platforms don't deal with it. So it's um, it's, it's a fine balance, but you've you just got to have thick skin in this industry. And um, as I said, there are workshops, there are stuff that the FA do, especially like I'm on the pro license now, and they do a lot around that. Um, and the club, as I said before, they, they we've got loads of different things in place, not just for players, but for staff, um, if, if they need that support. I don't know if you've read recently, Beardy, Emma Hayes coming out about female coaches in a sport. I'll just read you a quote of what she said and then maybe you give some um, of your opinion on it. It said, we have to think about educating players much earlier in their careers, maybe even during international breaks where they have more downtime and most importantly, support so that they can go through their coach education. We have to commit more money to coaches, not just in the women's game, but women's coaches in general. What's your thoughts on, on that quote? Um... <laughs> I mean, I agree and I disagree. I think I, 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 I've listened to the interview. Um, I think the, I think the league's what eight, ten years professional if you take COVID into consideration because we stopped for half a season. I think this generation of players now that are coming to the end of their their career, you know, a lot are choosing to go into the media side. But I think we'll start to see these females as the next coaches and managers. Because uh, that, that's the, the natural transition, I guess. Um, there are a lot of support and courses that go on. I mean, I'm on the pro license now, and only 24, 25 people can get on that. And there's myself and two female coaches on that from the women's game. Um, there's also a specific course just for coaches in the in the female game that the FA have set up as well, which one of my assistants, Amber Whiteley's on. Um, the PFA come in and do a lot about education, not just coaching. Um, you know, they come in and they offer coaching, they offer courses for the players um, from a educational standpoint as well as coaching. So I think we have to remember the game's young um, and it is growing and I think there are opportunities. I think we're seeing a lot more female coaches, whether they're head coaches or whether they're um, assistant coaches or working in the academy systems. We're starting to see a, a lot more of that happening, So, which is great to see and it should happen. Let's say, but I think as the league grows and it gets older and more teams come in, I think you'll start to see, you know, this generation of players that are coming to the end will start transitioning either into the coaching world or or the media world. I mean, we've got a couple of players that have done the directorship course, so there's a lot of things that um, that are being put in place, but it's not going to happen overnight, you know. And um, I think there's lots of good good things going on.
So you obviously mentioned there, I mean, I, I, I've seen some of the female-only coaching courses. Do you think that the coaching courses need to be done differently in terms of the women's game and the men's game? You, you know, in terms of if you wanted to go into coaching in a men's game to women. And do you think that it's ideal that all women just do a, a women's coaching course? Or do you think that it should be balanced? Obviously, look, coaches get ideas of each other and it's good to be challenged from, you know, different people rather than just the same gender. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think a lot of coaching courses are about building networks, right? So if you go on the CPD stuff, it's about building networks. It's not for a male, it's not for a female. And I think if you build relationships with people on courses, that potentially could present a job opportunity for you. You've you got to remember, there's only 12 teams in the WSL. There's only 12 teams in the championship. Not every team in the championship is full-time. So there's, a lot of, there's not a lot of... Uh, full-time roles that are available if you're going to look at our country for, for in the female game. Um, I, d I do I do agree with uh, maybe some you know specific coaches for the female or oh, sorry coaching courses for the female game because it is different. Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad you said that because nobody agrees that I think the, the the rules of the game you know and all that's the same. But there are so many differences in terms of how you yeah, manage and hundred percent. Because I think if you look now when you're looking at the academy system, you've got an A license, then you've got a, a youth academy A license, etc. So um, yeah, I just think it's it's one of them where. Uh, and I think they are starting to do that. Like I said, there is a course now that, that's similar to the pro licence, specifically for people working in the female game, and that's male and female coaches that go on that. But I, I don't think necessarily, my viewpoint now is I don't think there should just be females on one course and males on another. I think that, I think it's, it's important that everyone gets the opportunity to build relationships, whether that's a men's game or a women's game. Agreed. You mentioned there, this is, this is a big thing, you know, in terms of like, obviously there's not many opportunities to coach. There's obviously not many teams in terms of paid roles for coaches. So if you think of the cost of coaching courses and we know how expensive they are, what, how, how do they balance that in terms of paying for a coaching course? But then obviously the opportunities to then get a coaching opportunity plus a salary that comes with that don't marry up in my opinion. What's your thoughts on all that? It's the same in the academy game. You know, the academy coaches don't get a lot of uh, money in the men's game. You know, my brother worked at Brighton, uh, you know, with the under-18s, which is a Premier League team. He wasn't on a lot of money. So, I think... Probably on the same salary as some of the head coaches, that, you know, that were heading up WSL teams. I would Maybe, imagine. Yeah, so, but, so that's what yeah, I'm saying. Uh, academy level, of course, uh, what I'm saying is yeah, that no, you're working but, at elite uh, uh, level and the yeah, salaries but, aren't good enough. Yeah, but what we have to understand is, like, and, and listen, I've got a great grasp on this because, you know, when I was at Chelsea before, it cost me money, you know. it did. I didn't make no money out of that. If I didn't have my estate agency job, then um, I wouldn't have been able to have done what I've done in the game. So... Um, we've come a long way in a short space of time and I just feel sometimes we have to take a back seat and realise where we are, where we're going and it's going to take time, it's not going to happen overnight you know, if you're looking at um, the Nuco thing, the Barclays sponsorship, Sky taking it on and stuff like that, it, it takes time for these things to happen, you know, look at England to be competing to win World Cups and get to these finals it takes time, it doesn't happen overnight so I know, I tried for 23 we, years we, <laughs> <laughs> we've, got, we've got to be careful what we wish for. It takes a little bit of time. The progress is 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 happening fast. So we just got to, we just got to sometimes take a backseat, assess where we are, 
um, and then know that the future is it's only going to get better. That's that's the great thing about it. So there's going there's going to be more money coming into the game, and I just think you know sometimes we've just got to slow things down a little bit and, and understand where we are, where we've come from, and the direction it's going in. Yeah, no, I would agree. Definitely in terms of it, it's rocketed, hasn't it? And everything's just moving too quickly. But just the last question. Are you, as a coach at Liverpool, are you supportive of your players then taking their coaching badges and looking to those next steps? And do you wait until they come later in their career or do you encourage it from a from a younger age? Um, well, I encourage anyone to do whatever they want to do. If they want to do the educational side, uh, we've got like a dual career programme um, with Leandro Little and the club. Um Yes, like listen, it's it's important that especially in the female game now that you think post career because it's not like the men's game where you, you did, can wait, wait, retire. wait. You didn't think like that when I bloody played. <laughs> Why listen, now? Hey, 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 you listen, didn't care listen, about listen. me. I'm gonna put this on your podcast now. How many times have I rung you to come and work with me? I know, I know. You exactly. Didn't, no, you, don't, you can take the You don't back. offer enough. Liverpool need to they need to pull out some money, they need to pull out the checkbook. It needs to be bigger. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I might have been there otherwise. <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, now you're flying to what you're doing, and you what you do, you do really well. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, yeah, no, I've got the question now. First, I was talking about do you encourage your players from young to go into like oh, yeah, a, yeah, a, another career, yeah, no, future planning, um, future planning, yeah, no, listen, we, yeah, we do. I, I think um, I was being passed the other day with Landry Little choosing like like an educational piece he wants to do. Fern Whelan's come in and done a lot of stuff with the PFA. So, yeah, so, yeah, no, we encourage it. And I think, as I said before, it's important that there is a sort of career plan. If you look like Tash Dowie, when she come back and she finished her career at the club, and now she's an ambassador for the club. Mm. And I know the club are really supportive of supporting our players. Brilliant. Well, Beardy, thank you for joining us today on the podcast. I wish you the best of luck in the WSL. And obviously, I'll try and give you a nice draw in the FA Cup quarterfinals. Cheers, Paz. Thanks. See you later. Yeah, bye. Bye. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Rachel Laws, thanks for joining me on this podcast today. FA Cup on Sunday. You got a victory over London Lionesses. How was that game? Yeah, I think it was a could have been a tricky draw for us, but I think going into it, we were quietly confident. Um, I think looking at the 90 minutes, we were always in control. Um, probably should have won it a little bit more comfortably, but I think it's a it's a really good game for us going into the back into the league next week. But yeah, happy to be in the hat and hopefully it can get us a good draw later on. What's the FA Cup as a player mean to you? 
Oh, everything. Um, that's the cup competition, you know, you want to do well in. It's it's the competition from a young age that you watch. The finals always at, you know, Wembley, it's it's always a massive occasion. And like I said, that as a player, that's the final you always want to get to. Um and you know, this this season we've we've got to the quarters again. I think we got to the quarters last season as well. Um but you know, we're hoping to go a couple of steps further. But to me, it means everything. That's the cup competition you you really want to do well in and get to that final. It's a massive occasion. Do do players outside you know you know obviously now you're in the quarterfinals? Do, do they talk about it outside of or like during the draw? Even if the league's going on, obviously you know in terms of winning the WSL, it's unlikely that Liverpool are going to win the WSL. So do players chat about that in season now that they're in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, or is it just parked until the draw and then until the games come up? Or do you have a sneaky um, conversation about I mean, it? Yeah, I mean, yesterday on the bus going back, there was a lot of conversation kind of, you know, what who will get in the draw? Could, could we make it to the final? You know, and it's it's normally parked. We don't normally really talk about it until the draw comes out. And there's a couple of little texts in the group, um, you know, who we've got and, you know, whether we think we can win or not, just a little bit of banter like that. But I tend not to talk about it until it comes round, probably. But I think... You know, after after the win yesterday, like I said, it was it was quite convincing. So I think we're now thinking, you know, can we go that couple of steps further because of the of the result yesterday? But like Matt said on on his his bit when he was talking to you, it's there's no easy draw now, and I think whoever we play next, we'll have to be right up for it. But I think yeah, no, I don't I don't really think we'll talk about it fast to be honest until probably the draw comes out. Then we will speak about it. But then you know, if we're playing the league game next week, it turns straight back to league. It's true. So yesterday's obviously FA Cup results were Leicester beat Birmingham 6-2, Tottenham beat Charlton, they scraped through their 1-0. Arsenal was beaten by Manchester City 1-0. Wolves were beaten at home to Brighton 4-1. London City Lionesses lost at home to Liverpool 2-0. Chelsea beat Crystal Palace. Southampton, they lost to Manchester United at home 3-1 and Nottingham Forest lost to Everton 7-1. So they're eight WSL teams in the draw. So it's Leicester, Tottenham, City, Brighton, Liverpool, Chelsea, Man United and Everton. Who do you fancy yourselves against in the quarterfinal? Come on, put it out there, Lozzy. Um, I'd like to avoid your cities, your Chelsea's. Obviously, I think everyone would. Um, I'd love a home draw. Or if there's an away game, Everton would be great. Because that's just <laughs> right the corner. Um, at the moment... And this is no disrespect to the teams I'm picking, but I'd, I'd probably have to go, you know, Brighton, Everton, um, and a home a home tie would be great. But like I said, it's no draws easy. But if I've got to pick, which I have, I'd, I'd probably go Everton or Brighton. I'll try and pick. A, I'll try and use the magic hands to pick you a nice draw. Um, Please. <laughs> so that's just a little bit on the FA Cup. So last season, you lot finished seventh with twenty three points. How? So you're sitting fifth now in the league on nineteen points. What are the changes been within the squad from last year to this year to, you know, the, in terms of the way that you lot are performing this year? What, what's changed in pre-season? Is it, the, is it the changes in players? Is it, you know, managers, he changed some stuff? Like what's, what's changed at Liverpool to put them in the position they're in now? Um, I think training ground's a massive one before I even touch on the players. Um, you know, Matt touched on it. We're at Solar Campus where Tramia Rovers training. It, it filled a hole, it ticked a box, but it wasn't kind of where we wanted to be or what we expected. And going to Melwood was a, a massive, massive change for us, but in a good way. Um, we've got everything there, even down to nutrition. Um, it's it's just how it should be. And I think once we moved to Melwood, we realised how good we have got it. And I think that's made a massive difference. Recovery, like I said, eating, 
we've we've got access to everything and I think that makes a huge difference on the squad as a whole. Um but touching on players who we brought in in the summer, um for me they were all good signings. We brought in relatively young players, so I think you know it's it's probably more of a longer project rather than seeing stuff kind of now. I know we have kind of improved on our position and how many points we have at this point in the season, but for me, the standout one is Marie Hobinger. I think she's she's excellent. I know she got compared to you, Faz, but Hal, I, I don't you're not comparing think, it to me, are you? I don't think we nah. can do that. Um, <laughs> but, like her ability on the ball, both feet is fantastic, and the passes she sees, um, you know, you think, God, she's a step or two ahead of everybody else. And I think mm. she's made a massive difference coming in. Um, but like I said, we've, we've signed relatively young players, and so I think it's a it's a more of a longer term thing, you know, with the squad, and we've invested now. So then maybe in a couple of years' time, you know, they come good. And But we, we've got a lot more depth now, and I think that's a that's a really big thing to have. Like Matt said, he used the Conti Cup for minutes to keep people ticking over there who necessarily don't play in the league much. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, training and stuff is, is a lot more competitive. The tempo's high. And I think, you know, there's competition for places, and I think that's really important. Um, you know, if, if you're not performing well in training or games, someone's knocking on your door. And I think we, we haven't really had that the last couple of seasons. Um, so, yeah, I think we signed well in the summer. I think that's made a big difference. But for me, I think Melwood Melwood's probably the biggest thing. What about your opening game? Obviously, going to the Emirates and beating Arsenal. Do you reckon that give the squad, you know, confidence and belief that they actually can go and compete and, uh, and really give a good account of themselves uh, this season? Yeah, absolutely. I think that was... That was a massive factor in probably how we've done from then on. Um, we spoke obviously in pre-season as you always do about, you know, your goals and what you want to achieve this season. And I think, you know, we want to close the gap on them top three and four teams and, you know, going to the Emirates in front of 54,000, which I've never experienced that before. And I know the majority of players hadn't experienced that. Um, probably only the, a couple of the internationals. But I think going there and getting that win on the first day of the season is really kind of... And still, I wouldn't say like confidence in work because I think we're already confident, but I think that was kind of a, a wake up as to where we went, bloody hell, we can't actually compete here. Like that's the first game of the season. They're a team riddled with internationals in front of 54,000. If we can win one nil there, what can we do for the rest of the season? And I do think that result has helped. Um, you know, we've God, we've had some results where we probably should have won and we haven't. But then again, you look at the Arsenal game at the Emirates, should we have won? I don't know, maybe not, you know, with chances created and stuff, but... I think that did give us a massive boost of confidence and especially with what we talked about in pre-season about closing the gap, that kind of made us realise that, you know, we can compete and that result proved it. Yeah. So obviously experiencing, as you mentioned there, was 54,000 at the Emirates. Does that make, as players, does that make you want to, you know, Anfield? Imagine playing at Anfield and making it your home ground. Is that something that players talk about? Is it something that the club's spoken about, having more games at Anfield this season or maybe, you know, forward, uh, going forward? Like, did the players speak about that? Uh, we do, and it tends to be after a loss at Anfield. Yeah. <laughs> that you don't want to play there um, again. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, when we play at Anfield, it's it's a massive occasion. Everyone looks forward to it. It's just one of them grounds where you, you want to play there in front of a full house. Or I think we, we got over 20,000 and it's, it's a massive occasion. And I think, would I like more games there? Yes, we always would. I think it goes without saying. Um Ideally, we would win a couple of games there and it, it might be, you know, a little bit better for an omen. But I think going forward, I think it's something that the club definitely want. Um, I think it's actually been spoke about this season about maybe having another game or two there as well. And we're obviously playing at Goodison against Everton later in the season, which is massive as well. You know, you want to be playing at these big stadiums. You know, you want to be 
you want to be competing, you know, with every team at every level in mm. front of 40, 50,000 and I think going forward, I think that's the way the game's going. You know, if you look at your, your Arsenal's, how many games they've had at the Emirates already and Chelsea, Stamford Bridge. And I just think going forward, I think for the women's game, it's a big thing, especially with attendances going up, you know, the, the grounds we play at at the moment don't hold that capacity. And I think, you know, the the want for people coming come to the games now is massive. Um, and I think, yeah, going forward, it, it, it's got to be done. You know, you, you will sell tickets and you will get people, you know, you will get bums on seats. And I think that's really important. What about, so So you currently play at Tramia Rovers uh, football ground. In terms of, the, you, you don't you don't fill that stadium. So in terms of the capacity of that stadium, currently you're not filling that stadium. Do you think one more needs to be done in terms of the marketing around, you know, getting supporters to come in? Or do you think that in terms of it being over the water, you know, in terms of Liverpool fans, you probably don't get your, your fans coming out to Tramia to watch that game. What do you think it is that that stops, you know, that the fans coming out to the to Tramia and, and supporting you girls? I think you've said it there, Faz. I think being on the other side of the water is a massive thing. Um, you know, you can advertise the game kind of as much as you want, but ultimately, it's it's just at a cost. You know, you, I know it sounds stupid, but you've you've got to pay to go through the tunnel, and you know, some people potentially haven't got that is it money. Still one pound twenty, or has it I gone just, up? Say that again. Is it still one pound twenty or has it gone up? No, it's two pound. Pinel. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't go to home games if I didn't have a fast tag. Let me that. But I, I do think um, I do think being on the other side of the water is a massive disadvantage, um, and I know that's been spoken about within the club over the last couple of years. And ideally, we're in Liverpool. I just think it's got much more of a pull, and I think that's why when we do play at Anfield, it's it's not just the novelty of going to Anfield for people it's it's in Liverpool mm. you know in a, in a lot of Liverpool fans funnily enough live in Liverpool and I think it's I think that's a massive disadvantage for us and you know when we play the bigger teams at Tramia you always get that extra couple of thousand in it and that's that's just the pull of the other team you know your Arsenal's mm. your Chelsea's your cities and I think you know when, when you play the lesser teams in the league you know the ones nearer the bottom you don't you don't tend to get that crowd in. You'll still get a couple of thousand, but yeah. not nowhere near as as when you play in the bigger teams. And I just think if it's in Liverpool, you just get a bit more of a pull. It's it's easier accessible for people. You know when you're on where we play on the Wirral, there's no kind of train lines or anything close by. Whereas when you're in Liverpool, you can get buses, trains, anything, and, and everything's relatively close to to some sort of public transport. But um, ideally, would love to play in Liverpool. I think that's a big thing. Um, Advertising, I think advertising can always probably be a little bit better. You know, the club do a lot, um, you know, on social media and, you know, in and around the club to to promote games. But ultimately for me, I think if we were in Liverpool, we would get a lot more people through the door. Mm. A lot's been spoken about goalkeepers this year and, and certainly Mary Epps has had a lot of attention around a potential move to, to uh, Barcelona. I think PSG, obviously Arsenal was the, the big one. Ellie Robock, uh, Barcelona moves on the cards. Yesterday, we seen at the Arsenal-Manchester City game, uh, Kiera Keaton getting a little bit of stick. So the Daily Telegraph reports, I think it's the Daily Telegraph, they're reporting that it was vile abuse. I was actually at the game. Um, there was, you know, the old chant when a goalkeeper takes the goal kick and it's like, your shit. That was the most I heard at the game in terms of abuse. As a goalkeeper, do you relish that or do you think that th those sort of chants shouldn't be at, the game. Um, I can only speak for myself, and I, I quite I quite enjoy that. I, I just class it as a bit of banter. You, you know, the, the job we're in, I think it's expected. You know, it's a 
competitive sport with fans on both teams who who want their team to win ultimately. And I think for me, I, I, I take it as banter, I take it on the chin. I actually flip it and use it as fuel. And I know a lot of the girls I know do. Um, but I think the headline I seen was about it being abuse. And I just thought it was very dramatic. I just yeah. think it's it's worded so, so wrong. And I think you can tell by Kiara's reaction to it. I think I seen a video where she was kind of turning around and laughing and smiling. So I think it, it looks like she she takes it the same as me. You know, she kind of flips it and uses it as fuel. But I just think it, it's got to be expected now. Every, every ground, you know, I've played at it, probably I'm going to, I'm going to pick out the Man United fans. I, I get a lot of stick from them. They're probably, you know, the ones with, that I hear the most and, you know, they, they kind of keep going throughout the 90 minutes. There's no let up. And, but it is what it is. It, it, it's football. And I think you've, you've got to expect it, but for that to be the headline, I don't know. I just thought it was, it was very, very dramatic. I think in this day and age, you've got to expect that. Yes. Okay. It, it might, it, it shouldn't get personal in it. And it might, you know, it might cross the line slightly, but again, the job we're in, we've got to expect that, you know, it comes in all forms on social media, you know, verbally, whatever. But to me, I, I don't think you can class that as abuse. Yeah, as I said, I was there and I didn't, I didn't myself think it was, was abuse. And, I, and as you said there, I think she used it as fuel because actually she was fantastic in the game yesterday. You think back to early in the season, WSL, the mistake she made that allowed Arsenal back into the game. Um, she was fantastic, pulled off some really good saves. But as a goalkeeper, when you're not in the game, so when the game's happening and you haven't really got much to do and those chants, for example, are happening, how do you stay focused and switched on to the game and not get too distracted by it and interact too much with the, with the crowd? I think for me, I just, if I'm not kind of in the game physically, you know, making saves or whatever, I, I just try to talk to the girls as much as I can. That kind of keeps me switched on and keeps kind of the background noise out. Um, obviously, I think you do hear it. I think, you know, it's it would be stupid of me to say, oh, I don't hear a thing. I block it out. But you don't. You hear it. But, and uh, I think, what, uh, Rachel, do, do, you, do you train for that? Like outside, um, like in train, like do you do like, like mental prep or whatever? Do you train for that and prepare for that? Or is it just something you just deal with on the day? Uh, no, I, for me, I think it's just how I deal with it on the day. Um, I'm not going to say I'm old. I think I'm experienced You're now. Um, <laughs> as to where I know kind of how to deal with it. Maybe years ago, I remember on Twitter, oh, there was there was one guy who just went at us and at us after every game, whether I'd had a worldie, whether I didn't. And sure it I me? just laughed it off. <laughs> what? I said, you sure it weren't me? <laughs> <laughs> Probably under some anonymous account. Um, but I just think kind of even back then it, I just brushed it off and you know at games it's a little bit different you, on Twitter you, you can avoid it you don't have to go looking for it but I think I'd be stupid to say I didn't hear it you do you always hear it at games but for me it's just then if I do hear it I'll then switch to something else right then I'll have to say something so maybe I don't hear it as much and mm -hmm. I think that's what keeps me switched on especially when like I said you're not making saves or whatever it may be or the ball's been up the other end for a long space of time and I just think for me, I'll, I'll speak to the girls, I'll move with the ball um, and I just kind of try and keep myself occupied that way. But you do hear it, you always hear it. But for me, I, I just try and try and brush it off in other ways. So you mentioned there that you're not old, you're experienced, which means you've been in the game a long time. So it's, the game's obviously shifted, right? And in terms of the fans that now come, it's gone from probably your, your family friendly sort of fans to we're trying, or, or we're trying to encourage more football fans. With that, comes as you mentioned there a little bit of chance a little bit of potential if you want to call it abuse from the sidelines do you welcome that and what's your your thoughts on the evolution of the of the women's game in terms of that yeah I don't mind it um and like I said I think because we've experienced both sides of it I don't know I, I, I kind of find 
I don't know. I, I, I like I said, I use it as fuel. I, I kind of find it's a bit of banter. Um, you know, whereas, like you said, you know, God, a good few years ago when I first turned professional, you were lucky if you got a thousand through the door. Um, especially when I was at Sunderland and, and we first went professional, it was, you know, you always got your local people in, but majority was made up of, of friends and family. Mm. Um, but it's nice to see now. And I think, like I said before, it's part and parcel of the game, especially for me. And I know it affects everybody differently. I, I don't think, you know, one person's the same as another, but um, I don't know. I, I quite like it. You know, it's the evolution of the game and I think that's where it's going. Um, and I just think it's it's part and parcel of the game. If you look at the men's game, you get, what, 60,000, 70,000 to a game. And, you know, we're complaining about maybe 100 people behind the goal chanting something that is, is absolutely acceptable. So, um I think going forward, it's work, getting worse is probably the wrong word to use, but it's only going to, you know, become more applicable to the women's game, mm-hmm. um, you know, as, as the com- competitiveness grows and everything else. But, um, yeah, I, I think it is going that way in the women's game, but I think it was always going to. Yeah, as, as you said, the I minute mean, it, it goes professional, we're trying to encourage people in. Obviously, your football fans are always going to have their chance, etc. But... Lawsy, thank you for coming on the podcast, but you can't go without having some fans questions. So you've had a few people fire some questions into you. Hopefully uh, you're up for answering them. So one of the questions is, what is your pre-match song? Ooh. Ooh. It better be a good one, otherwise get off. <laughs> oh, I think if I told you the truth, yeah, everyone would laugh. Go but, on, you've got to tell the truth. Um, you can't. Well... Yesterday, the last song I listened to, it, it changes. I don't particularly listen to one song before I kind of get off the bus or whatever, but um, the one I listened to yesterday on the bus before I got off was Savage Garden Affirmation. I love Savage Garden, to be fair. And um, not sure I don't know that, why. I'm not sure how that's motivating. Not sure how that's motivating. Well, it's not, but this is the thing. Like, I don't particularly listen to any type of song I just flick through and if that one I go oh yeah and I'll leave it on but that was me last one yesterday so it changes decent do you have any pre-match rituals I, will, I always get asked this and it's like oh have you got any superstitions um I wouldn't say it's rituals but I always put me left sock on before me right or when I take me rings off because um you know the kind of One's got me Nana's ashes in it and one was from me Nana and Granda years ago. I always kind of give them a kiss before I put them in my shoe. Um, but I wouldn't say it's kind of a ritual. I just always always seem to do it. Okay, what's been your most memorable moment in your career, either at Liverpool in a Liverpool shirt or in another shirt? Got to be winning the league with me. If you don't say that, I'm going to beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be the first thing I said. Um, yeah, I think winning the Super League with Liverpool has obviously got to be up there coming from... Sunderland, where I was part-time at best. Um, so, yeah, I think winning the league with Liverpool, a couple stand out, winning the league with Liverpool, winning the championship with Sunderland, well, WSL 2 at the time, to go to WSL 1. And I think for me, this season, beating Arsenal at the Emirates in front of 54,000 has got to be up there as well. Decent. Right, another one. Last question. If you could swap position with any of your teammates, who would it be? Oh, God. You're going um, to look for a lazy outside out, outfield position, aren't you? Because that's exactly what you are. <laughs> that's what I always say. If I played outfield, I'd play in like the Holden midfielder. Cause... Mate, that's not a lazy role. No, but yeah, you can't run. I'll just get the ball and I'll pass it. I don't really have to run. <laughs> <laughs> you should have said centre half. How cheeky are I know. you? <sighs> Go on, what player? Oh, you have to name a player. Maybe a nine. Um... Mate, you can't shoot. I'd be like a fox in the box, Faz. Oh, whatever. 
Um, <laughs> who, who would I pick? I don't know. I don't know who I'd pick. Maybe a Fuka. Fuka's a four, but she's a technical ability is is fantastic, and I think she sees a pass that no one else sees. Now, I'd like to think that would be me if I was outfield. <laughs> Yeah, wishful thinking. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I'll stick with being in goal. It's all right. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably the only position you don't even do that too well, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only joking. Oh, well, I won't no. put that bit out. I don't want to hurt you on social media. <laughs> Can I joking. go now? <laughs> yeah. No, Lawsy, thanks for coming on. And I wish you the best of luck for the rest of the season. And as I said, I'll try and get you, uh, an, what is it, Everton at home or Brighton at home draw in the FA Cup. Fingers crossed. Legend. Thanks, Faz. Thank you. So coming up this weekend, match day 14, Farrah Williams score prediction sponsored by no betting company just yet. But if you want to put an accumulator on, you can put your one pound on. So it's Chelsea versus Manchester City. This is going to be a tough fixture because both teams are in form. But because Chelsea are the home team, I'm going to go over Chelsea win. Then we've got Arsenal against Man United again. Tough, tough, tough fixture. Arsenal aren't in great form. Man United seem to be hitting some real good form. I know it's Arsenal's at home at the Emirates. I think it is. I'm going to go with a Man United away victory. Brighton versus Liverpool. Since I've just had two Liverpool legends on, I'm going to have to go with a Liverpool away win. Everton, West Ham. Um, I'm going to go with a West Ham away win there. And then we've got Tottenham versus Aston Villa. I'm going to go with a Tottenham home win. Leicester City versus Bristol City. I'm going to go with a Leicester City win. So if you want to put your £1 bets on, there's my predictions for match day 14. Thanks for listening to Boots, Balls and Bras. That is all we have for you today and we will see you next week. If you have any questions, guys, don't forget, you have a whole week to, to fire your questions in on social media to us and we can answer them. Best questions get answered. Some of them have been repeated over the week. So if you've got some fresh questions you want to ask, I'm more than happy to answer them. But again, thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.